Hello, world. Did you know that people from over 50 nations listen to this podcast? I am so thankful for each person who challenges the status quo and has started learning about Web3 opportunities in healthcare. I do my best to speak with a diverse set of guests from many different countries so that the Health Unchained audience can get exposed to different possible strategies and business models. Each country has their own rules and guidance around blockchain technology. Each country also has their unique standards when it comes to healthcare delivery and public health policy. It seems to me that smaller countries are more inclined to experiment and test new innovations in their societies. On episode 93, I had the opportunity to speak with an entrepreneur from Cyprus, a little island country in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Georgina Kyria Kudes is the CEO of Cyprus-based Decentric Health. Decentric has developed a blockchain-as-a-service digital health app called Aria, which was piloted in European Union hospitals to prove out its value proposition. It was really interesting to learn about her journey and vision for the future of healthcare in Cyprus and beyond. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you do too. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Georgina Kyria Kudes, founder and CEO of Decentric Health, which is a certified innovative subject matter expert, at, which is approved by the Ministry of Finance in Cyprus. I will be talking about her company's blockchain-based app, Aria, and her experience as an entrepreneur. Georgina, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Thanks, Ray. Yeah, it's great to be here. Anna. And maybe you can give the audience just a background about your experience so far, your career, and then we can get into the topic of the app and what it's made to do. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, I've definitely had a sort of a, a sort of mixed journey to get here. Back when I was 18, decided not to go to university, much to the dismay of my school and my my family. And I moved to London and I started by working in a less than a prestigious bar. And then realized, hmm, this isn't going to work. What's the next step? And I got a job with PwC, which is one of the largest accounting firm in the world. And usually they take on about 2,000 graduates a year in the UK. Uh, but they have a small scheme of about 30 non-graduates. Um, so I got into that scheme. So I ended up training as a qualified accountant in London and sort of qualified as an accountant about 22 years old and worked in a number of different areas, but uh, a particular focus in the healthcare area. So working with companies like Novartis, auditing them. So that was super interesting. I then went on to work for Deloitte and I later took another leap and moved to Cyprus. So I'm originally from the UK, but living in Cyprus. 
five years ago started to move into the blockchain world. So I did my master's in blockchain and I actually was working with the University of Nicosia, which is the first um, university in the world to offer a master's on the topic. And I've been previously building their online education platform focused towards accountants and after hearing about blockchain, getting fascinated by it, and it was at a time, I mean, this was back in about 2015, when we were trying to understand the applications of it in the business world. So I started developing seminars for accountants and lawyers and sort of really getting into the applications where if this comes, you know, what does this mean? But then I sort of got lost in the topic and just loved the concept of decentralization and and what does that mean? And so that's where I then went on to do my master's and I did my thesis in medical data and blockchain um, and how blockchain could be used there. And that led to my publication in The Lancet and The Hymns, Blockchain and Healthcare Textbook, and eventually said, you know what? (laughs) this could work and this is great and there doesn't seem to be anything else and we spoke to many different companies doing things in the similar space but really our sort of vision on what we want to achieve we realized you know we want to go out there and do this and so that's then how how it led to myself and my co-founder Fadi building Aria and the journey which we've been on for the last three years. That is amazing. And it's so great to speak with people that have been in the blockchain space for so long, since 2015. You said you took a master's in digital currency and and blockchain. And back when you took it, there weren't that many, you know, curriculums for blockchain education. So it was probably one of the first ones. I'm kind of curious about that experience. Was it an evolution? The professors, the subject matter, was it sort of changing over time as you were learning the course or was it very static and the content was what the content was? I think what was most interesting about this master's is it had a very wide breadth. So at that stage in 2015, and I think I was the second cohort to do this master's, all other education had only really focused on the technical side of things. You know, how do you code a blockchain? How do you become a developer? And at that, not many of those. This one was much more broad. It looked at what are the legal implications here? What are the economic background of this, the game theory? What's the difference between decentralization, distributed ledgers, blockchain? Um, what's the history? So it really took a much broader aspect and it had a very nice mixture of people on it. It was all online, so it was very international. And it had a, a mixture of sort of people from the finance background like me to people who are very technical, to people who are completely new. And so that was very interesting. In one sense, a lot of the content was, let's say, more evergreen, so the fundamental principles, and they don't change. But then obviously things like like legal matters and things that was constantly evolving. Uh, And as I said, we kind of, sort of a lot of the knowledge which we learned there or the uh, professors that worked there and then started trying to make corporate courses to sort of tailor it to more specific industry needs and you know how a, an accountant is going to interact with cryptocurrency and blockchain is very different how a lawyer is going to interact with it or anyone else yeah that's really interesting and now there are so many different courses or opportunities to learn about blockchain and either by yourself or through a prestigious university so it's great to see that evolution let's talk about your app the aria app can you Talk to us about the vision for ARIA. Yeah, so our vision is, well, it's all about empowering the patient to have you know, true ownership over their health and then to also feel safe and comfortable to share their information. And by doing this, it means that we can drive forward the health at the health industry, because it's now all about data-driven innovations, you know, d- drug discovery, AI diagnostics, 
diagnostics, precision medicine, all these parties need access to good quality information. And we feel it should be the patient's right to be able to be the ones who control how their data is being accessed, knowing how it's being used and be able to benefit it, whether that's through improved health outcomes themselves or financial opportunities. So we envision creating a, a unified and borderless system which gives access to compliant, reliable and intelligible data while keeping patients having full transparency over how and who is using their data. That was our vision. It all started with, I said, I was doing my master's and I started working with a friend of mine, Fatty, and saying, okay, what should we do the thesis on? And we were looking at the traditional areas, you know, the fintech, supply chain, and we're sort of trying to think. And it was when his wife was actually rushed into hospital. She ended up being in, sitting in the waiting room for more than four hours in agonizing pain. They couldn't get access to her medical records. They didn't know what allergies they had, what past surgeries they had. They had no indication as to what it could be. And eventually, literally, a doctor passed by that knew her and knew a bit of her history and said, no, we need to get her through right away to surgery. And she had lost three liters of blood. She had an ectopic pregnancy and it was, it was very touch and go. Um, and it was just at that moment that we said, this is crazy. We have access to so much information, but we don't have access to our most important data, our, our health information. And so that is kind of what drove us, the empowering patients. But then over the last three years, digital health has exploded. We've had an epidemic um, where you know, we used to talk about epidemiology as part of this project. And everyone's like, what's that? And now suddenly it's like a commonly used term. And yeah, digital health has exploded and the need for access to this data and what value can be brought from this data has exploded. And so we want to fuel that. That's our vision to fuel it, but not through a central company taking that data, but actually letting the, the patients do that. And by letting the patients do that, you actually remove a lot of the barriers which currently exist. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's rather challenging. I'm sure you've experienced this. If you think about the many different types of patient health data that can be generated and the current regulations around data privacy, especially in Europe, GDPR, that's also something that you have to be compliant with. So I think this is really interesting. GDPR is like, we're a European country, so we comply with GDPR. But the thing about data regulation is it's really there to control the middleman. It's to make sure that the person who's holding data on behalf of someone else acts with integrity. And if the person who the data belongs to says, delete my data, share my data with this person, execute my data right, the regulation is there to make sure that that person does it. Now, if you remove that middleman and you now have the person making those decisions, having that control it sort of dissipates a lot of the need for that regulation. And so we find that's one of the, the differences between using a blockchain solution than like a massive centralized solution. A massive centralized solution is always going to have the limits of, you know, where can the state move? You know, can it move out of the country? Can it do this? How do, who are we going to get permission from? Who does it belong to? What are the access management rights? A blockchain system inherently has that built in, which makes it inherently a borderless system and be able to, while of course it still needs to comply with GDPR, it, it's doing more than comply with it. It's actually meeting its fundamental purpose. And so that's kind of, we're finding that that's actually one of our biggest selling points, shall we say, ends up being a regulatory play rather than being one of our biggest weaknesses, which a lot of people think it would be. 
right? And then you're, you're also avoiding that dangerous situation where all the data is in one, one central database, like you said, and becomes a honeypot for hackers as well. Exactly, exactly. And, and, uh, and we see a lot of cases now of this data being sold. So the NHS UK, for example, is now selling all patient data, five billion pounds it's worth. And it, the, it, there's an opt-out scheme. So your data will be sold unless you opt out. Now, I'm from the UK. Most people don't know about the scheme. I have data in the UK. I have no idea how I would opt out. So it's very questionable, these things. It's not that it's wrong. It's uh, anonymous information. And it's good that this data gets shared. It's helping the industry. But it shouldn't be at the expense of the patient. The patient can be involved and we can make it a citizen better if the patient's involved. Agreed. It's this idea of like radical transparency where we're able to share our data, but with our authorization instead of just sort of allowing it to be shared. Yeah in different places, different research uh, without our knowledge. Can you just tell me what are your biggest challenges now with the company? So I think this is kind of draws in nicely. I think our biggest challenge is there is this big vision of blockchain, okay? And radical change, revolutionize, like let's make the world a better place. And that is something which a lot of people don't understand blockchain. I don't mean technically, but it's very hard to imagine what that new world is going to look like. And it's very difficult to even try and explain it because you know, no one really knows. So you're trying to pass on this vision. But at the same time, you need to pass on the reality. What happens now? And that's something that we sort of very focused on. Like, yeah, blockchain's awesome. But I don't want to create some amazing blockchain that doesn't work in the real world, that people can't use, that the health industry won't accept. So trying to find that balance between when you're working with customers, patients, investors, getting them to see, okay, this is where we're going. This is why this is so important. But right now we have to do this one step. And this one step is not going to give all that value, but it's leading us towards something great. And so balancing those two, I'd say it's probably our, our greatest challenge and knowing where sometimes we go very practical. Okay, this is what it does. You know, it's like Bitcoin. When people first came out, there's the big vision. Then people said, oh, it's basically a cheaper, faster way to transfer money. And it's people trying to make it real. But when you try and make it real, you actually lose a lot of its meaning. And so I think we, we, that's the same problem here, you know, trying to get that understanding across and also the, the sort of practical application across. Yeah, that is a challenge. What's the narrative for these different mm-hmm. cryptocurrency or blockchain? It's always changing, but it seems like Bitcoin and potentially Ethereum seem to be leading that way. So I want to talk about some of the product offerings that Aria has now, and then maybe we can also get into the actual technology stack and how it's built and what protocol it's using. So I understand there's a patient solution where a patient can download an app. They have features to integrate their existing medical records from a specified health systems right now in Cyprus, and then there's a provider solution. Can you talk about both of those? Yeah, so those are very, really interconnected. So the way that our solution works is we have the the blockchain and then we integrate with the existing hospital system. So we go to their laboratory information system or their radiology information system, and we do an API so that data can be transferred to the blockchain. The patients then have an app which they can download and create their blockchain wallet. And it looks like you're just creating a normal account process other than getting your private key or your recovery phrase, very much usable for the day-to-day person. And then the patient there 
can request their records. So they just have to go on the app, choose the medical provider they want their records from, click connect, and that sends a message to the, the hospital. And then the hospital in their existing systems, they don't need any new systems, they find the patient's profile and they put the ARIA ID of the patient in, click connect, and that then through the API automatically transfers all the historical data to the blockchain wallet of the patient, and then that's visible on the patient's app. So they're sort of a very interconnected solution. Question on that. So which health data standards are being used for that API? So we use HL7 and FHIR, depending on type of data and, and the how advanced the hospital. But it's very important. The health data standards keep because there's no point. And we've had this before, people storing PDFs. Okay, great. Now I have a load of heavy PDFs. What am I going to do with that? Having standardized, intelligible data is, is a key part of what we offer. That's sort of one side, which is the data. So the providers, uh, the sort of offering to them is the seamless sharing of data to patients, taking care of all their compliance issues regarding to getting consent as to how data is transacted. And then we give the patients the ability to, one, receive their records and visualize it, but then they can also share that data on, be that to doctors or to other healthcare stakeholders. Excellent. And by the way, I did test out the app. I really enjoyed the user interface. It's very smooth. I wasn't able to import any of my personal information because I don't have any records in Cypress, but I thought it was a smooth experience from what I saw. So about the provider solutions, are they able to prescribe medications through the app or is it just to view the medical records of patients? So the provider is a solution for them providing information to their patients. So now it's very common they're creating their own patient portals or, for example, a patient comes in, they need to get consent forms. If they need to then share data onto a doctor, they need to get more forms. So we just automate that whole process of sharing data. And effectively, we're empowering their patients. And that's what they're really kind of keen on, especially since GDPR has come in. They've accepted this is not our data or you know, not fully our data. We don't have ownership over this. The patient has the, the right to have this data and they want to help them have that right. And so... With our APIs, everything's automated. So there's nothing. We remove all the work in the hospital to manage how data is sent and shared. And then everything's transparently recorded on the blockchain. So it meets a lot of their regulatory requirements in that terms. So when it comes to their side, they do have a portal for sort of managing the information. But it's the the integration, which is the key part here. For sure. And as we know, like no app is perfect. And there's probably some limitations to ARIA at the moment. Can you share some of those limitations from your perspective? And then maybe some of the upcoming features or capabilities that you're planning? Yeah. So one question we used to get asked a lot was, okay, great. I have my data. Who cares? And it was a lot of people pushing us, well, what are you going to do with that data? We've made it clear our app isn't for diagnosing you or for the AI on it. We make things look nice, make it easily visualized. But our aim is to be the backbone for the digital health industry. So now, for example, we're working with digital health platforms like telemedicine platforms, AI diagnostic platforms to help them integrate so that they can get access to, so the patients can provide access to those apps so that those apps can do that work. So we, we're very key, like our app is a front facing tool for you to interact with your records we provide the back you know the, the data solution for that so i guess you could say that's a, a limitation or, or like kind of just sort of very sort of specific on what we offer 
I'll give you an example of one of the AI companies we're working with. So uh, sort of a, a typical patient journey now as we go onto the app, um, and this is a female app, and they um, say, okay, I have a problem getting pregnant. The app sends a medical device at home. They do their test, they do ovulation tests, and that information gets sent to the app. The AI bot will then analyze that and say, okay, you need to go to a lab. So off they go to their lab, and the lab emails them a PDF, and then they upload the PDF onto the app, and then someone in the back end types out <laughs> the PDF so that the AI bot can then analyze it so that it can then say to them, okay, we think you've got PCOS, please, uh, we're going to refer you to a partner doctor. Okay, great. The partner doctor needs my data. Okay, now the app has to go and get permission from the patient to send that data manually over, or the patient needs to export it and send that data over. There's these amazing solutions out there who've like digitalized and automated the whole diagnosis procedure. But if you're missing the data part and that whole data part is manual, it really interrupts with the patient journey. So that's kind of yeah, where, where we're coming in. So like even for like the lab, that's, you know, let's say the first people we've integrated. You see how now they're being able to enter the digital health world. And now I'd be able to work with digital health platforms to sort of see the patient through their whole medical journey and, and sort of change their relationship with the patient. Now it's a very sort of transactional relationship. I come in, I get my test, I leave, give me a piece of paper, give me a PDF, put it on your portal. But we're trying to really actually get much more of an ongoing relationship between the patient, the provider, the digital health provider, and have that all sort of integrated. Yeah, that's really the dream, right? Getting that longitudinal experience for patients to feel like there's an actual healthcare system that cares about them and it's not just transactional. It's tough. It's a tough problem for many reasons, but it's great that you're working on solving some of those problems. <laughs> Sometimes I think I change blockchain and healthcare. I mean, probably two of the most complicated topics. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it again. So I want to get a little bit deeper into the technology stack that was used for building ARIA. What is the blockchain protocol that runs the consensus behind? So we use a uh, multi-chain. So it's an enterprise uh, stack. It's actually, I think, the third most used for enterprise solutions, but it's one of the less marketed, shall we say. It has a very unique feature that it has an integrated IPFS within it. So it is uniquely designed for managing data. And so effectively, we end up with sort of different parts to our R stack. So we have the blockchain, for, let's say the traditional sort of identity management, access management element, and we store the, the hash or the fingerprint of the um, EMR data on there as well to ensure the immutability and integrity of the data. And then we store the actual data encrypted on the IPFS, so the peer-to-peer -peer file storage network, so that we keep the sort of decentralized part without causing any issues to, to the speed and scalability of the blockchain. So a question on that, storing the health data encrypted on IPFS, does that create any concerns or issues with the right to be forgotten under GDPR? Is that a policy issue? How do you handle that? Yeah, so um, under the rules of right to be forgotten, the data either needs to be deleted or completely anonymous. So data that actually gets uh, put onto the blockchain, the IPFS, has no personal information on it. It only has like a pseudonymous at the ARIA ID. And then on our system, just our normal database, that's where we have okay, this ARIA ID relates to this person. Now, if that person therefore wants to be forgotten, then 
all their personal information is deleted. And so all that's left of the data is there on the blockchain, but there's nowhere to actually link who that data belongs to. So that's, that's been accepted. That's, that's a GDPR way of um, uh, achieving right to be forgotten in a immutable system. <laughs> Interesting, yeah, because I hear a lot of companies say, oh, no, we don't store the health data on the actual blockchain. It's just like a hashed location, right? Yeah, for me, that undermines a lot of the point of the availability of the data. And do you truly own it if it's still sitting on someone else's system, which they can turn off or delete at any time? So that for us is very key. And, and another key part of that relating to data protection is where the data is stored. So within our blockchain, we actually can segregate the data into different regions. So if you've got data coming from the UAE, it can be based in a UAE region within the IP, IPFS. So we can keep data in different regions, even if it's being accessed from outside of that region. So that also solves one of that problem. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, did you have any other kind of tidbits about the technology stack? So multi-chain protocol, integrated IPFS, and then in terms of your user interface, are you using AWS at any level? So we have the blockchain, which has the sort of two elements, so two layers of the data storage and the access management and security. And then we have the APIs, which go towards the hospital system, and we have those sort of connected directly, while they're a middleware to the blockchain. And then we have the front-end side of things. So we have a patient app, but we also actually have a doctor's app too. And then we have a platform for the medical providers for sort of managing and transparency on that. And then the sort of standard block explorer and that that information there and patients can generate their own private keys right and so they're the only individuals that can manage their data has that been an issue for your users and your experience because i know managing private keys in this new web3 world is still it's pretty new and some are either afraid to do it or they're not sure if they trust themselves do you have any information to share on that yeah, certainly. I mean, I always say it's a, a matter of convenience versus security. And it, it's not a problem that's been solved at, by any project. So we make sure that, yeah, the, gener- the private key is generated on the device. So ensure it's theirs and it's not stored by anyone else. And then we give them options. So we've decided to take the approach of let's not make the decision ourselves on how this will be done. Let's go out there to because because we're also we're not a cryptocurrency wallet. We're not talking to an audience who is knowledgeable about blockchain, what's comfortable. We're talking about day-to-day people just coming in to get their health data. They don't necessarily you know, have any desire to use blockchain, what they have a desire for is privacy of their data and control over their data. So we decided the best way to go about this is to say, okay, we'll generate the key and now you have a choice. And currently we give them three choices. One, store it yourself. And to make that easier, we store it, it's stored within the app. So every time you enter the app, you can go and there's an area where you can go and find that key. So So as long as you can log into your app, then you can access it. You can get your recovery key. But of course, if you delete your app or and you and you lost the key, then you're going to have an issue there. The second option, we give them the option to share it to friends and via an email, which personally it's not the most like secure option. But then at the same time, it's a single. It's one key going to one or two places, so you, you sort of do sort of still limit 
exposure compared to it being on like a central database where yes, a hacker may say, great, I want to get into that data because I want to get lots of keys. The likelihood of a hacker trying to, you know, target everyone's individual email to find that key, but it's still a risk. And then the third option we give is for them to store it with us. And then we encrypt that and store it separately. Yeah, as I said, our decision was, let's not decide ourselves. Let's give these options and let's see what people choose. And to be honest, people are still choosing to store with us, which is not what we want, but we want to see what people want first. Um, And then we're looking to introduce new options, for example, to store with the hospital or to store with a trusted party. And so we're kind of, yeah, always just seeing like okay, what what news coming out in the industry what parties are coming on but because we are a private network and there's a reason we're a private network because this is healthcare data and we have to be very careful about what sort of data is allowed to come on chain because if the data is going to be relied upon by doctors or researchers it has to be you know from verified parties but that, the good thing part of that is you've now got trusted relationships which the patient can also leverage so that's, I think, this is the next level that we'll be looking at. Sure. And just to push on the decentralization aspect of it. So you're using multi-chain and I'm not too familiar with how decentralized that protocol is or how the nodes are, but it's a private network anyway. So how many nodes are being run for running your application? So right now we have three nodes, so three different parties. So, it's, so we you know just sort of finished our pilot at the end of last year like a you know, sort of full pilot and now yeah we're building out the consortium so this year is sort of a, it's quite a big year for us so we have quite a number of different parties coming on board and, and we always said like let's first make something usable and real let's make sure the technology works let's make sure it fits with the industry let's make sure people everyday people can use this and let's make sure we have the foundations to always be able to decentralize this more and so that's something that we know, of course, we would, we, you know, we want many more nodes and much more decentralization, but it is a step-by-step procedure. And so that's what we're working on now to just, you know, always be building that out and give um, give more incentives to nodes and, and keep that that going. Sure. I mean, you got to start somewhere, so. <laughs> exactly. A lot of people start in this industry with um, partnerships and marketing. We want to start with, you know, product and technology at first, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I see that a lot. So I know you're talking about. (laughs) What is the process of becoming an ARIA provider? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. So the way we work with our providers, so yeah, we currently have two hospitals, which we're fully integrated with, but we have another 100 clinical labs, which we're currently doing the integrations with. It's pretty simple in the sense that we just do the API with your medical record system. So we have our API specifications and we work with them. The great thing is that as, as we build with more medical record systems, once you've built with it once with one hospital, like for example, our first hospital used a particular system, we built the APIs, it took a, a few months to get everything set up. We went to the next hospital, had the same system a week later they're integrated because the APIs are done. So that's all that's required. What we do is basically we come in, we set up the technical integration, we test it. We train the, the staff to make sure everyone understands it and knows what it is. And then the apps are available for, for patients to use. How is navigating the Cyprus health data regulation 
So it's because it's GDPR, it's a European-wide regulation. It's one of the reasons why we were we wanted to start in Cyprus because it's a small country, so it's a sort of perfect sort of test bed, uh, pilot uh, bed for for such a, a project. With with just a few providers, you can get the majority of the population on board. And because it has the same regulation as the rest of Europe, that means that by meeting the regulations here, then we're able to cover the rest of Europe. And yeah, I mean, as I said, the first year of the project I always used to joke was half technical half regulation <laughs> there was a lot of work so we did a the, the most in-depth you can go into GDPR is to do a data protection impact assessment most companies don't need to go into that depth but because of the type of technology we're using we went into that we obviously had lawyers involved in that and then every hospital group that we work with reviews that so it's been it's, it's a big process and let's talk about the pilot so this was with the American Medical Center yeah so our first pilot was at the American Medical Center in Nicosia. So we really started with them from day one. So that was something really important for us that we kind of co-create a solution. Before even talking about the technology, we went and we walked through every single process that they do, saw how the patients worked, saw how the doctors worked, and we started building a solution. And we launched the app in well, it was meant to launch in April 2020. <laughs> and of course, COVID hit. Uh, Cyprus was very strict on the lockdown and no one was allowed to go to the hospitals. Uh, so we didn't want to launch something without being able to talk about it with patients, get them involved. I mean, patients weren't allowed in the hospital unless you were literally an inpatient. And we were focused on the laboratory. They were doing the tests in the cars. I mean, it was, it was a bizarre time. So we postponed a little bit the launch. And the reaction to the app was good, but the problem was our original app had been based on patients coming into the hospital and getting verified. You want to make sure it's the right person. We had a QR code. You scan that. We had this whole process. You know, in theory, it looked great, fantastic. Hospital confirmed it great. Reality, it didn't work. It's a good learning though, right? So, yeah. It was the best thing that could have happened to us because it made us completely redo our whole procedure to be a completely remote registration procedure. And at first, that scared the hospitals because they're like, we have to verify the patient's identity. I need them here in front of me. And so we did a lot of work, the lawyers and things to see, okay, what, what is acceptable verification? And we managed to come up with a way of making it completely remote. And that changed our opportunity from 20, 30 patients coming into the hospital each day to anyone that's come to the hospital in the last 15 years can now use our app. So, so it made a big difference, and, and yeah, I'm glad it it failed in inverted commas the first launch because it led us to a, a completely new solution, which sort of supercharged our opportunity. And so, when we then launched that app, and at the same time, we'd also got funding from the government by this point for also for COVID related assistance with sharing records and getting access to, to COVID data. We also were able to transform the quality of the visualization of the data. And now we're having fantastic uh, results. And to be, you know, we launched another pilot a couple of months ago, and now we've sort of launched publicly in the hospital. And I went to meet them and said, okay, how's it going? And, and usually it was okay, this problem, this problem. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. Okay, everything's smooth. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, we got to that point where we're coming on, downloading the app, accessing their records, and it's been super smooth. So, yeah, it's very exciting. And it's how I believe blockchain should be. It shouldn't be a, a complicated community. Just like you don't need to know how the internet works, you know, to use email. You shouldn't have to know how blockchain works or the complications behind it. Again, you don't want to make it, make it dull it down of, oh, great, it's an app. But at the same time, 
you do, if it's going to be a mainstream application, it needs to be something very user-friendly and simple. So, yeah. Do you know how many patients have integrated their records into the ARIA app so far? So during our pilot, we had about 200 patients integrate and about over 2,000 records. And now since we just started launching publicly, we're starting to get, yeah, sort of 10, 20 on a day. And then, yeah, well, our, as I said, we've got 100 labs process for integrating. They have access to more than 4 million patients. So this is Cyprus and Greece now. So we hope to then sort of see it expand quicker from there. Fantastic. Congrats on that success so far. Yeah, <laughs> with a lot of hardship in between, but well, when it comes to I mean, it's a classic, <laughs> classic startup situation. There's a big failure. You have to figure out how to pivot or adjust. And you did that. And it actually turned out to be more positive than the original plan. So congrats for, for doing that and navigating that hardship. What kind of partnership do you currently have? Yeah, so far, we've been focusing very much on the medical provider side of things. So particularly lab groups. But the big shift we've had recently is digital health platforms. So we're now starting to work at integrating our solution into existing digital health platforms. So as I said, AI diagnostic apps, telemedicine apps, and also medical devices who, so ones which tend to have apps. As I said, they're having the problems of, they're, they're very interesting because hospitals have a responsibility to store the data. And then it's, they then give a sort of copy to the patients. But these health apps are often not the ones generating the data. So they don't even necessarily want to store the data themselves. They're like, great, you can handle all the storage of my data, plus automate it, plus make it intelligible and integrate it all. And then that's very valuable. And so that's the big sort of direction we're moving in is to really bring in the digital health platforms. And that's also adding a lot of value to our current customers, sort of connecting the traditional and the digital health world. And then also now we're starting, we've got, I, I can't announce them yet, but we've got a big partnership with a $3 billion revenue hospital group that has hospitals in four different countries. And so they have a problem with the sort of cross-border transaction. And so that's another sort of parties we're looking at. We find that the ones that are most interested are the, are the, the bigger guys. They, they want innovation. They've got more of a problem with transferring data, especially across borders. Big health groups and digital health platforms is what we're working with mostly now. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I did have a question about how consent is provided. So patients have their data and if they wanted to share it to a provider or a different health system, are they able to granularly select which data they want to be shared or is it sort of like all in or nothing? Uh, no, so they can literally, so I mean, it's very sort of simple, like almost like a messenger app. You can just click and select which ones you want and click the share button and then select who you want to share it to. So it's pretty granular per record you can share. So when you share it, are you able to revoke that permission? Yeah. So then what again within the app, so we have sort of three kind of main sections in the app. You have the connecting with, pay, with hospital providers and you have your kind of complete medical file with all your records. And then you have a shared section where you can see the transparent audit log of what you shared to who and you can time them at the access or revoke that access. So you can always be, be very aware and in control of who's accessing the data. I'm sure there are other players in the space doing similar things that you're doing. Are there any companies you want to kind of highlight or just kind of mention here just to give the audience an understanding of the landscape yeah yeah i think i think what's interesting is is not just the, the blockchain companies in the space but the non-blockchain companies in the space 
particularly in America, two years ago, there was a mandate for enforcing open data sharing in the healthcare world. So every hospital has to have what's called the FHIR API and allow for connection to, to these sort of systems. And that led to quite a sort of boom in the companies like Health Gorilla, Apple Health, and now we see you know, Google and uh, a lot of these companies saying, right, health is becoming our strategic priority and, and health data specifically, data priority and health authority. So there's a lot of centralized options coming in. And then at a European level, there there are national systems, public health systems, as well as like private options, which are integrating with national systems. And then you've got like EU who are trying to do more cross border systems. In the blockchain world, uh, there are a few, like there was medical chain in the UK, but they focus more on telemedicine now. I think focusing on the research side of things and being able to get that data to clinical trials, which is very important. I think they're, they're doing a great job. Patientary, but from I, they seem to be more focusing on fitness data and then uh, providing uh, solutions to the hospitals themselves. I think one of the challenges that all the blockchain companies have had and what sort of is the defining difference between all the companies which, let's say, are doing similar healthcare data on the blockchain, patient-centric, et cetera. There's always the problem of, okay, how do you monetize this if you're not going to get the patients to pay? And, and that really is very difficult because you want to keep the patient at the center, but then if your customer comes to business, then how do you make sure the interests are aligned? And, and, and every company approaches this, this differently. So a, a lot of them have said, okay, let, who's the end provider? Who's the end person who's going to value from this the research? How does ARIA make money? So we make money initially from the providers. Um, so we, what we've tried to do is say, okay, let's focus the value on what is the value that the patient's getting and why would a provider want to help the patients with that? And so we make money directly from the medical providers and from digital health apps for the basically the digitalization and optimization and managing the compliance side of that data. So that's that's where we make money. And we do see in the future an opportunity to make money from patients being able to monetize their data and and I think it's what all the other ones do kind of take a uh, facilitation fee for that that is kind of a secondary opportunity which I do think is a good one because as I said before data is being sold (laughs) it's happening now by the companies anyone that's coming in and helping the patients to do that that's great. So that is a, an option, but we didn't want that to be our driving force because then when that becomes our driving force, there's a risk of conflict of interest. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you share a little bit about the Decentric Health team and the culture? I know it's a still a small startup, relatively speaking, but I'm sure there's a culture yeah, there's uh, so there's seven of us in the team. There's myself, my co-founder. There's Dr. Beirut Behod, who was our original thesis advisor, and he's Oxford Harvard trained physician. And then our, our tech team, who is um, focused on building digital health applications. And yeah, I mean, our mentality we're very. It's uh, a great thing about being, despite coming from a corporate background. The great thing about being in a startup is. It, you get rid of all the fat. It's just about being lean. What do we need to achieve? Who needs to do it? And then we're very like direct with people. Okay, this is what we need to achieve. This is when it needs to be done. Do it however you want, whenever you want. That that's our mentality. We have a very sort of we have our team is spread in three countries. So we have some people um, abroad and some people in Cyprus, but we are in sort of constant communication and and really just sort of 
make sure that every week, every Monday, we know exactly what needs to be achieved in the next sprint. And we use sprints for pretty much everything, even non-technical things, and then really let people have, have freedom there. But then we also have a big value around what we say, sort of vulnerability and transparency and, and letting people not feel like they can't be honest or make mistakes like just come talk like let's all be open and transparent because that's the best way to just sort of move forward while on the other side of that saying this is business and it's not personal so if we tell you you're doing a rubbish job it's okay like we're not saying because to insult you and saying okay you know, like well you come and tell me uh, if you think I as a CEO and it's a rubbish job come tell me like let's let's like, give me information I won't take it personally I want to we want to make sure this works Everything is is for the success of the business. And that's what matters. Yeah, that's, that's our sort of culture. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. The Human Genome Project was an international scientific research project with the goal of determining the base pairs that make up human DNA and physically and functionally mapping out all the genes of the human genome. It was formally launched in 1990 and declared complete on April 14, 2003, but it only included 85 to 92% of the genome. Over the past 20 years, scientists and researchers have developed better laboratory tools, computational methods, and strategic approaches to decipher the complex sequence. In early 2022, the first complete gapless sequence of a human genome, two decades after the Human Genome Project, produced the first draft human genome sequence. According to researchers, having a complete gap-free sequence of the roughly 3 billion bases or letters in our DNA is critical for understanding the full spectrum of human genomic variation and for understanding the genetic contributions to certain diseases. The work was done by the Telomere to Telomere Consortium, which included leadership from researchers at the National Human Genome Research Institute, part of the National Institutes of Health, University of California, Santa Cruz, and University of Washington, Seattle. The National Human Genome Research Institute was the primary funder of the study. So the last 8 to 15% of the genome that was still unmapped includes numerous genes and repetitive DNA and is comparable in size to an entire chromosome. Researchers generated the complete genome sequence using a special cell line that has two identical copies of each chromosome, unlike most human cells, which carry two slightly different copies. The researchers noted that most of the newly added DNA sequences were near the repetitive telomeres, which are long trailing ends of each chromosome, and centromeres, which are dense middle sections of each chromosome. The massive drop in DNA sequencing costs comes hand-in-hand with increased investments in new DNA sequencing technologies to generate longer DNA sequence reads without compromising the accuracy. According to the consortium co-chair Adam Philippi, PhD, whose research group at the National Human Genome Research Institute led the finishing effort, sequencing a person's entire genome should get less expensive and more straightforward in the coming years. In the future, when someone has their genome sequenced, we will be able to identify all of the variants in their DNA and use that information to better guide their healthcare, Philippi said. He also said, truly finishing the human genome sequence was like putting on a new pair of glasses. Now that we can clearly see everything, we are one step closer to understanding what it all means. This milestone marks a new era for breakthrough medical treatments and overall improved understanding of how the human body works. 
Given all the potential, I hope scientists and doctors will consider the importance of bioethics and data privacy when drafting new protocols for sequencing patients' whole genomes. Web3 technologies, blockchain, and privacy-preserving solutions can recreate the way health data is owned, managed, and shared. What more identifying data do we have than our individual whole genome sequence? It is literally the blueprint of our existence, and we should leverage it to help research, but not sacrifice our individual privacy and agency along the way. What do you think? Check out the link in the show notes for more info on this news corner. Let me know what you think via the healthunchained.org website, or you can contact me via one of my social media accounts. And now, let's get back to our show with Georgina Kairiakoudis, CEO of Decentric Health. Who would you say is one of your most favorite business leaders in history, or even living now, that's influenced you? It's a difficult question, because... A lot of the business leaders we see are, are, are naturally the more charismatic ones. With so, there's so many behind the scenes doing many things. So I can't say there's one particular, but I am very into personal development. Um, and so Tony Robbins has been an influence from, from my early. I remember when I was 18, I first read his book. And and yes, obviously it's his personal development uh, strategies, which is what I'm interested in. But also as a business person, what he's grown from what many people you know he hasn't got some sort of original information it's how he packages it how he delivers it how he inspires people how how he makes something an experience so yeah i I mean (laughs) that's what i'd say different leaders have different things you you watch steve jobs because you want to see how does he deliver that vision how does he deliver that story whereas you may look at someone like warren buffett and see like he has a very different mentality of quiet reflection and how he uses not being sort of out there fast go, but more more time to think. So, so you sort of see from different leaders, different values. And I, I love, you know, reading um, autobiographies and of, of business leaders. It's just sort of, I'm obsessed with getting kind of to the root, not the story sort of behind the show, but what are they doing every day, especially at the beginning, not when they're successful, but when they were failing and not succeeding. What were they doing? What did they keep doing? That for me is just like, that's what I want to know. <laughs> what habits do you have to keep yourself active and healthy? Yes, I think the to be successful in anything, you have to have energy. You know, you have to have the right mindset. You have to have the right input. I am a mother of two, so life is a little hectic. And balancing between those is, is something. But also it brings the balance. And so I think, you know, what do I do? Well, one, I'm very, uh, I've always been very strong in morning routines. So I try and wake up an hour earlier before my children, despite the fact they wake up at five. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I do affirmations and journaling and just at least some sort of exercise just to get my mindset right. I find the morning is key to winning the day if you get your mindset right then then you're in a great place and then i do exercise at the gym I, i'm all about classes like i don't have time to think about this i just need to follow something but health and then yeah general overall health and well-being and getting out to nature i think that's really important my husband is a big into rock climbing so we're often out at the rock and taking two boys who also are, need a, a lot of energy exertion so yeah i think that's it and i think also nowadays the concept of work-life balance has kind of gone out the window. You have to just embrace the two together. Uh, and it, that has its pros and its cons. You have, we have to be careful to, I mean, it's easy to overwork nowadays and 
world's very competitive but at the same time it it's it's a beautiful sort of life when you can sort of bring it all together really great advice i appreciate you sharing all that i think that's helpful for anyone listening so you guys out there uh, take some of that guidance next question and i haven't asked this question before at least not that i can remember but i'm curious can you share a personal experience you had with a health-related issue or illness or injury how has it actually influenced your perspective on the healthcare system I mean, obviously, there's a, the, the story I told earlier, which isn't about me personally, but about my co-founder's wife. That was definitely an experience of really seeing, like, wow, and sort of, you know, tra- you know, something potentially tragic hits and how important the system is. I think also, I mean, this is sort of personal. When I was about 18, I was struggling with um, some health issues. And I was, I remember it was very awkward. I was 17, actually. And they were treating me. And then I needed to be referred to a doctor. But by the time I got to the referral, because I was 17, I had to be referred to a pediatrician. But by the time I got to that doctor, I was 18. And they sat there and they said, well, I can't treat you. And I said, well, it's not my fault. It's taken three months to get a referral. And they said, well, there's nothing I can do. And then I said, well, actually, I'm moving to London next month. And they were like, well, there's nothing I can do. And they literally just said, well, there's nothing I can do and just left it. And then I moved and then I had a prescription and I moved to London and I would go to the doctor and I was 18. And I wasn't, I'd just be like, look, I have this prescription. Can I have it again? And they just kept on giving it to me. And I think I was only meant to have it for six months. And then suddenly I'm in, in a situation where I'm like, okay, should I just stop the medication myself? Should I tell them? Like, And you're only 18. So you're not a trained physician or anything. <laughs> no. And there was no Google. So... Um, so like it was very much like shocking that even in I would say one of the better healthcare systems in the world and one of the more integrated healthcare systems so moving you know out of my family home is less than two hours away from London you know moving from two hours down the road I drop out like no one had my information and I'm sure it's better than it than it was but also just the the lack of care and I think one of the reasons is because doctors are so busy I don't blame them and especially in a place like London you never see the same doctor twice they don't know who you are it's not they don't care but they're like right I've got a 10 minute slot like in the UK you're only allowed to talk about one condition so if you come and say I've been having a headache and you go oh also actually I've got this problem with my eye yes I'm sorry I can't treat you you have to go and get another appointment and I understand that it's not their fault it's the way that the system has uh, developed but this is one of the reasons why patients need to become more empowered about their health because it's not possible for the doctors to we don't have those sort of family doctors that know known you since a child and walk you through this journey we don't have that anymore and so the system you know it has changed and needs to move on with it Georgina, this has been an excellent discussion. I really enjoyed it. There's been a lot of back and forth about the healthcare blockchain industry, what you're working on, the projects you've, you've you know, completed and continuing to work on. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience before we end this today? I think what I've seen even very recently is that we're about to have a very big change in how we experience our healthcare journey. I think COVID has advanced the digitalization of, of our world. And I think we're going to see a big change in how our we move towards preventative and primary care through digital platforms, which I think is fantastic, and, and preventative care particularly, like really helping people take care of their, whether it's mental or physical well-being. And then 
having that more moved online, but there being a hybrid system. I also don't believe that, you know, we're all going to be digital. Having a hybrid system. So I think we should be ready for a big change in how our healthcare journey is going to work. And yeah, I think that's just very exciting. But I do feel that the core of it is the technology behind it. That's very important. And making sure that we make the right decisions now to assure the interests of the patient and every other healthcare stakeholder is aligned. And that's, you know, Okay, obviously, that's why I believe blockchain is a very unique solution to that. Once again, thank you. And I look forward to hearing more about the company and your success. Yeah, awesome, Ray. Thanks so much. Great to speak. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group t.me slash health unchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.